I want to tell you about an archaeologist, a British guy. Uh, his name was Sir William Ramsey, and he was born in 1851, and he died in 1939, so right before World War II. He was an archaeologist, well-known, and his passion was the Middle East. And he was a British archaeologist that was also a Bible skeptic. He was not a believer, follower of Jesus, and he just had questions, he had doubts, and he was just like, I know that just can't be real, all that in the Bible. And he thought, oh, in his career, I will find a way to show that it's wrong. And he, as time progressed, he was like, I can't prove or disprove the miracles. Wasn't there. So he thought, what can I do? And he finally figured out one way, if he could prove that there were errors or problems in the Bible, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. And when we see the, uh, the scriptures and we see the accounts of the birth of Christ, Luke also pulls in historical things outside of the Bible, you know, who, who was the emperor, those kind of things. And so he thought, I got it. If I can show that he's loose and crazy or off with the facts, then I can end up showing that the scripture's off. And so that was part of his mission, and of course he's working. Then you uh, fast forward a little bit, 1923, he's w working in, in Turkey, and he's at a site, and they're working, and they find a Roman temple, and they find an inscription, and basically it's kind of giving a recording of some history and, and about uh, Caesar Augustus, and there was three times of collection, tax collection, census, that kind of thing. There was three of them. The second one was estimated to be around three to four years before the birth of Christ, and there was another one that was several years after the estimated time of the birth of Christ. And he thought, ah, oh, and so he thinks he has him. So, but as he begins to research, that second census, the one that was supposed to be three to four years before the birth of Christ, the Jews really had a problem with it. And they thought, we've got to do something. And so it's, it's reported that they got a commission, and they sent this commission to Rome to protest this taxation. And uh, they, there was a governor of Syria that was, they, some might say, well, why didn't they go to him? Well, he didn't have the authority for that. And so they didn't go to him. And his name was, we're going to read in Luke chapter 2 in just a second. So when they went to Rome, and, of course, uh, they protested, Rome's sorry, and so they have to go back. And, and as they head back in time, and we're talking about 2,000 years ago, right? So communication is slower. Everything kind of moves at a, a different pace. And over time, the taxation begins. It begins to move through the Roman Empire. And it, so it wasn't just like that. But the timing was perfect that as it arrived, that kind of movement for the census and all registration, that it hit area of Jerusalem and Bethlehem at the time when Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. And everything played out. And so uh, as this went through Sir William Ramsey, when he left and was back in Brit Britain and, and, and entering retirement, he was a believer. He was a believer in Jesus. So those even in power think that they've got things under control you know, Caesar probably thought, I got it, the, the whole known world, and it's mine. I'm in charge. But he was not in charge. And all of God's promises in, in Scripture in the Old Testament would be fulfilled and would be fulfilled perfectly because God is in control, not man. And same thing when we think about our world today and our country. There are those who would probably say they're in control, they got the power, but God is in control. 
So let's, let's pray and jump into Luke chapter 2. Lord God, thank you for this, this passage. Thank you for the story that we get to read of that incredible time when promise in Scripture was fulfilled. And so, Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read a few verses here. Uh, chapter 2. Okay, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and the whole empire sh- that the whole empire should be registered. And the first registration took place while Cornelius, God, that's so funny. For years, I mispronounced his name, and then I was thinking earlier today, I'm going to pronounce it like I did as a kid. <laughs> and now as I'm up here, it's still spilling off my tongue. That's the, the governor, remember I just said a minute ago, that was in charge, that didn't have the authority? His name was in that inscription that, that Ramsey found. So he's governor serious. So everyone went to be registered to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of David. And he went to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a a manger because there was no room, there was no guest room available for them. So why did this happen? It happened because mankind chose to rebel, chose to sin. And it was started in the garden, and it's been to this very moment that we have rebelled. We're sinners. We can't help ourselves. And we're we're evil. We're against God. And we need rescue. We need a Savior. And God, before creation, had already worked this out. He already had a plan, and he would send his son. He would send Jesus, who would step out of eternity and put on flesh and bone. And like we just saw in that video, it came in just an infant, helpless, a little one, a baby. And it would fulfill promise. And we see just the first hint of that in Genesis 3.15. Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need a savior. All of us need to recognize that we're sinners against a holy eternal God and we need rescue. We need him to save us. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. Luke is pinning this. His audience is Gentiles primarily, and he's the one who pulls in some other facts into his narrative. Um, Caesar Augustus, around 27 uh, B.C., I think to 14 A.D. or so, uh, in charge. Uh, He sent this out. It says, some translators say the whole world. It beat the whole known world, and Rome at the time probably thought, we've got just about all of it, so we're going to send this out. Now, part of this, to have a census, was for taxation purposes. Another was potential military service. Now, the Jews would have been exempt from that part, but the taxation part not a super fan of. Probably us today are not a super fan of some of the taxation we do, (laughs) right? We do know there there needs to be some, just like back then, it needs to be some. 
But a lot of us, we push back when it gets excessive. And the Jews were like that too. They felt excessive. They felt oppressed. And in a lot of cases, they were. Um, so they were looking for a rescue. They were looking for the Messiah. But they uh, were living in this time when this came out, that there would needed to be another a census. Uh, the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Okay, he was a well-known military and political guy. And we see a lot of that from history. It's also said it's quite possible that he actually served in this role two different times, two different time frames. Um, but he, like Caesar, they thought, we're the ones in charge. We're the ones that have power. And they wanted to use that and to increase that. And then even over time, it just continues to get more and more difficult for the people and for the Jews of the land. So everyone went to be registered to his own town, verse 2, probably where they, their family tree was the origin for it, including Joseph, as we're going to see here in, in verse 4. And this struck me as I was thinking about this last night and earlier in the week. Joseph was probably also in the camp of, I don't like all this heavy taxation, I'm sure he probably wasn't a fan of it either. But for Joseph, there was still that, that right at that point in that season, Rome was in authority. And when they said, well, you got to do it, maybe he didn't like it, but he still did it, even with a pregnant wife. And so he followed through. And I think that's for us too. We don't like some of the things that come out of our government. We don't like the heavy taxation at times. But, and we have an opportunity. We can select people to represent us and to speak up for us. But in the end, that's our authority. And I was wondering, I thought, did Joseph have the opportunity to say, you know what, I don't like this, I'm just going to stay here, and I got a reason. Mary and I, we just need to stay here, we need to stay put. Maybe Rome won't figure it out. I don't know, but he was being obedient. He was also going as part of God making his promises become fulfilled his prof the prophecy of the messiah it was all going to work out exactly as god said exactly as the scriptures pointed to so joseph went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to the city of david king david which was called bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of david so that's where he was to go and the scriptures were going to point and we, we'll see that i think darren's going to hit on that christmas eve when the wise men came and were curious about wh where is this king. But here, so as I really worked and thought through Joseph's willing to go, he makes this journey, which they said was probably a three to five day journey. So not an easy trip and not hopping in an Uber and making that run. It's a walking, laboring, maybe she got to ride some, we don't know. But they made this journey to Bethlehem. And at the time, they, would, they said, or it's estimated, Bethlehem had maybe about 1,000 people living there. Today, it's estimated around 22,000 that live in Bethlehem. So when, when they arrived there, 1,000, and I don't know how many people would have been there at this time for the census, but here's where Joseph and Mary arrive, and they arrive in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, and we see it in Scripture, even this is primary where even Book of Ruth kind of centers and hovers right around this area, this, uh, this town, Bethlehem. So he gets there, verse 5, he's to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So again, that journey, 
Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So God's timing is perfect. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. God's never too early. God's never too late. His timing is perfect. And it's the same for us today. And he's always at work, even in difficult circumstances. And I know that had to not been a pleasant journey for an expecting mother. God's timing is perfect, and he was with them every moment as they made that journey to Bethlehem. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So her firstborn son, just like the angel said, the angel said, you're going to have a son. didn't say you're going to have a daughter. said, you're going to have a son. So everything's is exactly as said and was told to her and to Joseph. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth, probably to keep Jesus warm, and she placed him in a manger, an animal trough, a feeding trough. And it says, because there was no guest room. Um, some say, translations say in. It wasn't, a, again, not a large town. It's not like they had a lot of Motel 6s. Maybe not even any kind of hotel. But with a the hospitality, there would have been people that may have had room. The problem maybe with this sense is it, it just may have been just too, so crowded. Um, but the Greek word, it stands for lodging. So in the time, in that, uh, that area, a lot of people, their home was one room. And in some cases, that one room was also room for them and their animals. She had to protect them. So it's, it's quite possible that that was the case, but also they said that sometimes they were at a place where they could have be live here and there was a cave and that's where they would put the animals. And a lot of uh, a church tradition thinks or places the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, in a cave. But still place where they kept the animals. And so when we think of that, just like in that video, dirty, messy, but here is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, arriving for us. And you and me today are still sharing this story. We still have the answer to God's promise. And every year, this time of year, you and I, we get into Luke chapter 2, we get into Matthew, we see this story, and we celebrate once again. But it is the cause for celebration for followers of Jesus. Because now we've been forgiven, we've repented of sin, we're trusting Christ because of what he did 33, 34 years later when he went and there was a piece of wood, and he would be nailed to that piece of wood, taking the place for sinful mankind, sinful you, sinful me. And so even as we celebrate this incredible moment, there's that too, which is for us as followers of Jesus, we can celebrate that as well. It's humbly, when we see what Christ did, and grateful that he was obedient to God's plan and God's will. And Mary and Joseph were obedient. Because even in this moment, as she gives birth to her firstborn son, it's now going to be years raising him, teaching him. 
and then watching him as he grows in faith and stature. And then in young adult, 30 years old, steps out of sort of the private scene and becomes more public, visible, teaching, telling miracles, I mean, performing miracles and pointing people, telling people about God. So for Christ Jesus to come, we can celebrate it, but also let's celebrate what he did 33, 34 years later. For, for us, this is a busy season. And so I would challenge you, challenge me this week that we look at our lives. Is there room in our lives and in our hearts for Christ this week? That we are not so busy that we just kind of, boom, because we, we're all going to blink, it's going to be Christmas Eve. It's going to be fast. But is this week, can we, can we set aside that time and we got it just in this moment, to, like tonight, I just, I just want to be in your presence and I want to be in the word and I want to celebrate and I want to give glory to you. I want to make sure that you're priority in my life, that there's room for you in my heart and my life this week and in next week and beyond. This song, O Holy Night, and I double check, we're going to sing it Christmas Eve. I can't tell you how many times I have been in church where we sang O Holy Night. Um, but as I was listening into it this week, it just struck me because I was really intently listening to the words, and it just—it was like I heard it fresh and anew. Oh, holy night, the stars are shining brightly. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Here's us at worshiping the one who's worthy of it. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O oh, night divine. O oh, night when Christ was born. O oh, night divine. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming. With glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by the light of a star, sweetly gleaming. Here come, the wise, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in a lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Amen. Oh, what a, a glorious story. God's grace, God's compassion, God's mercy extended to us with the birth of his only son. So let's celebrate. Y'all, we live in a land, in a world, dark and cold, but we have the good news. Jesus Christ has come. And so let's be quick to share that and express our gratitude, our gratefulness to a holy God. 
Let's pray. Father, as we um, head towards this, uh, this blessed morning when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we just pray that you would just continue to draw us to you, that you would make us more like Christ in the things we say, the things that we do, the things that we think about. Lord, we want to please you, not to earn anything, but Lord, just our gratefulness that we have been rescued, that we've been forgiven of our sin. Lord, I thank you for saving me as a 13-year-old. I thank you that you've been faithful every moment, forgiving me of my sin and letting me be one of your children. Lord, we pray for our, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, especially for those that only know Christmas in a sense of a holiday and celebrating that. Lord, may we be the ones that point them to you. Lord, I pray for us that you'll help us to do that this week and that we'll gather together here Christmas Eve by candlelight to celebrate the birth of Jesus, your son, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.